Scripture reading today is 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 16. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to, su- to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. For the last few weeks, the lectionary has been walking us through the book of 2 Thessalonians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to one of the early churches. And in our modern Bibles, uh, 2 Thessalonians is divided into three chapters. So in the first chapter, the Apostle wrote to that church about the, uh, the, the persecution and the trials that they were enduring for their faith. In the second chapter, he wrote about the Antichrist and the coming day of the Lord. And then today we see that in the third chapter, he wrote to them about what they were doing at their jobs, how they were approaching their work. So um, if you wanted to outline the book of 2 Thessalonians, you could say that first it talks about the hard times, then it talks about the end times, and then finally it just talks about the ordinary times, that, that you know, average day when you... You get up in the morning and you check your email or you clean the kitchen, you go to school. It just th- So this passage, this is talking about how we approach our work. And to break this down, I want to I touch on two points. First, I want to talk about the importance of our, our work. And then I want to talk about God's blessing on our work. So uh, first, uh, the importance, the work that we do in our day-to-day lives is important to God. Now, the church that was addressed in this letter is a church that Paul himself and his colleagues had helped to start. Paul, Paul and his uh, ministry team, they went to the city of uh, Thessalonica, they lived in that town for a while, they shared the gospel with people, and they started this church. So the people who are addressed in this letter, these were people who knew Paul personally. He had lived in their town. They they had spent time with him. They had observed the way that he approached life. And so because they knew him this way, he asks them to follow his example. You'll see in verse 7, he says, you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Then in verse 9, he says, we offered ourselves as a model for you to imitate. He said, just follow our example. And so the question that you might want to ask is, all right, what aspect of Paul's example did he want these early Christians to follow? So, for example, the Apostle Paul was a missionary. Did he want them all to become missionaries? No, that's not what he's saying. 
Paul was an evangelist, that he wanted them all to go around evangelizing, sharing the gospel everywhere. It's not a bad idea, but that's not what he's saying here. Paul, Paul was a preacher. Did he want everyone to become a preacher? No. So apparently, when Paul was in Thessalonica, to support himself financially, he got a side gig. He got some kind of job where every morning he went to work. We don't know what the job was. Maybe like he did when he was in Corinth. Maybe he was making tents. We knew that he, know how to, he knew how to make tents. But the point is that he worked when he was there. He says that in verse 8. He says, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. While, while he was living in their town, they saw this. They saw what he did. Every morning he got up, he put on his shoes, he zipped up his jacket, and... You know, just like the rest of us, he, he went to work. And here's what he says. He says, that's the aspect of my example that I want you to follow. He's like he's saying, I don't care if you go into full-time Christian ministry. I don't, I don't care if you become missionaries or pastors. I, I, I don't care if you do anything that is quote-unquote spiritual with your life. He says, I just want you to honor God with your work. Very similar to something he said in, in the book of Colossians, writing to people who had very menial jobs. In Colossians 3.23, he said this. He said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. So um, our, our work is important to God. Now, the, the importance of our work is something that sometimes we overlook in church. Pastors tend to forget this, that God doesn't only care about what we do on Sunday mornings. He cares about what you're doing from Monday through Saturday, right? We forget that work matters to him. And this, this includes the work that you get paid for, the work that you don't get paid for, the work you do at home, the work you do in school if you're a student, the work you do perhaps at a job, the work that people notice and praise you for, the, the work you do and no one ever notices. God cares about your work. And some of you know that this is a, this is a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. In, um, in biblical history, the very first worker that appears in the pages of Scripture, you know who it is? The very first worker we see is God. Genesis 1 and 2, God, God's first revelation of himself. God reveals himself as a worker, God who is at work creating the world, right? And then when God creates the first human being, God's very first directive to that human being is go work. Genesis 2 verse 15 says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So we see God as a worker. He creates this human as a worker. He tells this human, I want you to work. And then many years later, when God himself took on human flesh, took on our nature and came into this world, listen, before Jesus healed the sick, before he fed the multitudes, before he preached any sermons at all, do you remember? What did the Son of God do here? He spent the first 30 years of his life working as a carpenter, as a construction worker, right? And that's what he did with most of his time when he was here. He just worked. And Jesus said in John 8, verse 29, he said this, he said, I always do what pleases the Father. Meaning that the father was just as pleased with the son when he was swinging a hammer as he was when he was proclaiming the kingdom, right? Our work 
really matters. The work of our hands, the, the ordinary, mundane, unimpressive, non-spiritual things we do on an average day matter to God. One uh, Christian author named Tom Nelson wrote this. He said, because, because God himself is a worker and because we are his image bearers, we were designed to reflect who God is in, through, and by our work. The work we are called to do every day is an important part of our image-bearing nature. As human beings, we were created to do things. We have been created to contribute to God's good world. So whatever you spend your time doing this week, if it's uh, creating a spreadsheet or driving an Uber or practicing your clarinet or fixing dinner for your family, whatever it is, your work matters to God. Now, apparently, um, some of the people in the church in Thessalonica were having a hard time understanding this concept. Verse 11, Paul says, We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. There were some people that were just not working. Now, it's important to notice, these were not people who were unemployed. They really wanted the work. They were looking for a job, but they just couldn't find employment. That's not what he's talking about. These, these are not elderly people who were at an age of retirement. These were not people on disability. These were people who could work, but verse 10 says they were unwilling to work. And the apostle says, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Start doing something, right? Working. So the apostle, you'll notice essentially here, he calls on the congregation to respond to these people who were uh, just idle to respond to them with church discipline. Verse 6, he says, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive. Verse 14 and 15, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed, uh, yet do not regard them as an enemy. Warn them as you would a fellow believer. He calls them to, to discipline, church discipline, for those who were unwilling to work. That might seem kind of harsh to you, does it? They don't work, they don't eat. <laughs> it seems kind of harsh. For some of you, it may not seem harsh. For some of you, it might, for some of you, I wonder if it's just kind of a relief to read, to read something like this in, a, in the Bible. If, if, you've ever, if you've ever had a friendship or a relationship with somebody who is a taker but not a giver, you know what I mean? They're always taking, 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 they're never giving back. It might be a relief to you know that, to, that the Bible says you do not have to let them treat you that way. You're allowed to set some limits, it's okay. It, it, it seems that it, this little church to whom Paul was writing, it seems that they were practicing a very communal form of life together. After all, they were a persecuted church, so it seems that maybe they were pooling their financial resources so they could survive as a community. They were maybe sharing their food together. And the apostle says, he says, listen, if you've got someone who's showing up to dinner every night but never bringing anything to the table, not even willing to help wash the dishes, I mean, you know, your response should be, no soup for you, right? Just then draw some limits here. All right, so, so it, might, it might be a relief to you to read that God allows us to, to, to have some boundaries. It might seem, this might seem very harsh to you that you would treat people this way. But either way, the point I want to make is I find it intriguing that in the early days of the Christian movement, an unwillingness to honor God with your work 
was considered cause for church discipline. Isn't that something? Today we think church discipline, that's for what? Sexual immorality, financial improprieties, proclaiming false doctrine. But back then, if you, if you didn't want to honor God with the work of your hands, they said, you know what? The church has to hold you accountable and help you to do that. Our, our, work, our work is that important to God. Now, in the world that we live in, what is it that makes work important? In our society, your work is considered important if you have a prestigious job and you make a lot of money, right? So in our society, uh, the head of surgery at the local hospital is more important than the cashier at the supermarket. Or a, a hedge fund manager is more important than a stay-at-home parent, right? That's the way the world views work. Listen. In the kingdom of God, in the church, we don't view work that way, do we? In, in the kingdom of God, what makes work important is the benefit that it brings to others, even if it's unpaid. The benefit it brings to others and the glory that it brings to God. So that's, that's what we learn here about the importance of our work. Now, secondly, let me just talk briefly about God's blessing on our work. Verse 16 um, when Heidi read that before, that might have sounded familiar to you because that is, a, that is a verse that we often use as a benediction in our church worship services. This is one of those beautiful um, apostolic blessings that you find in the New Testament. And it was intriguing for me to realize this week, and this never had occurred to me, that this particular blessing appears in Scripture at the end of a passage that talks about our work. Isn't that something? So let me read the blessing. Verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with you all. Now notice here, in this verse, Jesus is described as the Lord of peace. He is not the Lord of criticism. He is not the Lord of condemnation. He's the Lord of peace. Peace. Let me tell you why that's important to remember. There are some people who, whenever they think about their work or their performance at work, they always feel condemned. I didn't work hard enough. I didn't do enough. I haven't accomplished enough. I, I'm not as successful as my cousin. I'm not, I, I haven't accomplished as much as I should have in my life. I need to do more. I need to do more. Listen, if you feel that way, let me, can I just tell you something? It is not the voice of Jesus who is saying those things to you. It is not the voice of Jesus. He's not the Lord of condemnation. Amen? He's the Lord of peace. Ephesians chapter 2 says, Jesus proclaims peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are near. Meaning, no matter where you are today in relation to Jesus, you might be very close to Christ today or you might be a million miles away, no matter where you are. Listen, His word to you today is peace, not condemnation. Peace. So he says, now, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. When? On a Sunday morning where you're sitting in church. Yes, we do hope that coming to church will be a blessing to you, but that's not what he says here. He says, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord of peace be with you all. So th this is saying, this is the blessing. On a Monday morning, when you're out of breath and you're rushing out the door and you're late to work, 
The Lord of peace is with you. He loves you, giving you his blessing. On a, on a Tuesday afternoon when there's that math test and you forgot to study, the Lord of peace is with you. He loves you. He wants to bless you. On, on, a, on a Wednesday when the kids are sick and, you, and you've got to do the laundry and you haven't been able to go grocery shopping yet, the Lord of peace is with you and he loves you and he wants to bless you in those endeavors. On a Thursday night when it's all approaching midnight and you're still grading papers or you're still trying to finish some project for work, the Lord of peace is with you then. He loves you and he gives you his blessing to that work. On a Friday morning when you're sick of your job and you can't stand your co-workers and you just can't wait for the weekend to come, you've been there. The Lord of peace is with you then, Christian, and he loves you. He wants to bless you. So the idea of this blessing is that the Lord of peace, the Lord who loves you, the Lord who loved you enough to die for you, he's with you at all times in every way, right, bringing his blessing to your work. How many of you feel like that might be good news? It's great news. In Ephesians chapter 3, the apostle said that his prayer for Christians was this, that we would have power in our inner being to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. Let, let me ask you, do you know how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ for you is? He, listen, he cares about every aspect of your life. There's never a moment of the week, Sunday through Saturday, there's never a moment of the week when, when you are not an object of his concern. There's never an activity that you're called to do, right? To, 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 to fix the car, to, to uh, give a presentation at work, to, to take a pop quiz and geometry on, on, at school. There's never an activity you're called to do that he doesn't delight in, that he doesn't care about, where he's not present. You'll never outrun the love of Christ for you. So this is the blessing for your work this week, whatever it is. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord of peace is with us all. Amen. Can we pray? Father, thank you that the ordinary things we do on an average day bring you joy because you delight in us. We are your children, created in your image, redeemed by your Son, and so we pray this week that you'll help us in our work. I pray for those in this congregation who are overworked and stressed out at their jobs or at school. I pray that you will give them relief. I pray for those in this church who are unchallenged by their work or underemployed. I pray, God, that you'll open doors of opportunity so that they can, they can have the kind of work that would be fulfilling for them. I pray for those in this church who feel unappreciated in their work. I pray that you will let them know that whatever they do has great dignity because they do it for you. 
I, I pray for all of us in our work that you would give us grace to respond to your work of salvation with works of, of our hands to bring glory to your name. For Christ's praise we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.